This week on the Totally Biased Media Podcast, we talk new Pokemon Snap, discuss PS5 exclusive Returnal, Jackson returns with a vengeance, and more. Stay tuned for this week's episode of TBM. I'm Jackson Walker. I'm Jordan Walkup, and I'm never going to give you up, never going to let you down. And I'm back. <laughs> I'm Jason Simmons, and this is Johnny Knoxville. No, wait. Dang it. <laughs> That's right, folks. If you couldn't tell, it's the Totally Biased Media Podcast. We are back with not one, but two new video games to talk about. And boy, howdy, we're going to talk about them both. <laughs> First up is new pokemon snap you know these guys nintendo they've done it again and uh this time they got their boys at bandai namco developing the follow-up to one of the weirdest and wildest games nintendo's ever made but jackson i'm gonna throw this over to you to tell us what new pokemon snap is all right so imagine jurassic park except the entire time you're Wait, uh, you know, I was going to say the entire time you're just taking pictures, but that's just, that's probably just Jurassic Park. So imagine Jurassic Park, um, but a video game and the dinosaurs are Pokemon. And some of the Pokemon are dinosaurs. That is true, yeah. <laughs> Got it in one. <laughs> but not Charizard. Well, no, yeah. he's he's definitely a dinosaur. He's okay, just not sorry. a dragon. So just to give us the rundown, Jackson, how much time have you played this game? Um... None. Exactly. Jason, what is New Pokemon Snap? New Pokemon Snap is the hit follow-up to the hit game, Pokemon Snap, which was on the N64, where you played as a guy, and I'm not kidding here, his name is Todd Snap. And he (laughs) likes taking pictures of Pokemon. Yeah, that that was basically the game. You're, You're working with Professor Oak, I think, in that one, to, uh, take pictures of all the pokemon and then this game new pokemon snap the title is amazing you're working with uh this new guy professor mirror to take pictures of pokemon you're working with professor mirror of lynn's laboratory (laughs) and your name Uh, now is whatever you pick your name to be they should have gone for another joke i think so the last guy his name was todd snap i think this guy's name should have been Pokemon Myers. <laughs> yeah. This guy is Jim Photography. <laughs> but there's also a, a major plot going on throughout the whole game where you're trying to find these mysterious Illumina Pokemon, which are just Pokemon with tattoos. They're really big and glow. And throughout this episode, just a heads up for anybody listening, I am going to switch between saying Pokemon and Pokemon the whole time. And I will not (laughs) fall into one or the other. I'll switch as I want, just to get on people's nerves. But above all else, uh, Pokemon Snap, both the original and the new game, are 
more puzzle game than photography game. You are on these rails where you're going to go through an environment or Pokemon. <laughs> Pokemon. Uh, I'm going to say it that way just to make it even worse for everyone. poke a <laughs> where, <laughs> yeah, where Pokemon are just sort of chilling in their natural habitats. Uh, you ride in on this car, which is on rails. You can't really control it aside from changing the speed later in the game. Um, and you are taking pictures of the Pokemon. And you have several different ways you can interact with the world. You can throw them fruit, which they will eat. You can throw these Illumina orbs that make them glow and give them like energy and make them react in different ways. You can play music to change their mood. Basically, you have all these different ways to interact with the world around you to set up the perfect pictures. And then you are rated on those pictures. And that's sort of just the general hook of the game. Take a lot of pictures, try and mess with their environment in a way that sets up cool pictures, and then you're rated on them. I feel I should specify... You can make them eat the fruit, or you can just pelt the Pokemon with fruit. Um, <laughs> yeah. I feel like I spent a lot of time just hitting Pokemon with fruit to see if they would respond in an interesting way. Sometimes they do, and then other times they're just like, what? I'm going back to sleep now. Okay, so I'll, I'll sort of kick us off with our reviews here by just saying that this game, at its very core, this primary hook, picking a route, go in, take as cool pictures as you can and get scored on them. Very, very fun. I like it a lot. It's it's relaxing, but still kind of makes you think, and you really learn to take in the world around you. I think that it has made some really, really smart decisions that expand upon everything that made the original game good in very cool ways. There is this incredible sense of wonder, like childlike wonder, the first time you are on a new route and you're seeing Pokemon for the first time and seeing the way that they interact with their environment and with each other. It, it's always very, very cool to see the first time. But with the original game, it was pretty short. Like, you could knock out the whole game, like, everything there is to do in something like four or five hours. So this time around, one, there's more routes to start with, so there's already more content there. But two... If you do well enough on a route, you'll level up the route, and the next time you go in, it will have new Pokemon, or the Pokemon will be in new places, or they're more involved with the player. Like, for example, a level 1 course, you might see some Pokemon off in the distance, but once you take enough pictures and come back on the level 2 route, the Pokemon will be, like, right next to your trail, so you can get really good close-up shots. Yeah, the level is more or less supposed to represent how comfortable the Pokemon in a given mapper are with you and your photo taking escapades. Yeah, it it's a very cool system, which I think takes that feeling of seeing a route for the first time and then sort of lets you keep experiencing that new level because every course has, I think every course has at least three levels. Um, some have more than that. And some of them make some major, major changes to your routes or to the Pokemon present. Some you'll go to a totally new location and you'll see 100% different Pokemon. Like it's, it really evolves itself as you go. But yeah, like I, I really like the main hook of this game. I think the environments are really cool. Seeing new Pokemon for the first time is always really exciting. It has this sense of exploration that other Pokemon games don't really get, which is wild considering this game you're on rails and those games you can go wherever you want. But it, it does a lot of really cool things. And I think it's some of the best visuals on the Switch. Like the Pokemon look awesome most of the time. 
Yeah, it's definitely really nice seeing like these high res models of all the Pokemon. Some of them in particular I can think of that looked really good are like Altaria. Flying dragon thing. <laughs> yeah, the ones that have like clouds for wings. <laughs> uh, it was really cool finally getting to see uh, some Pokemon that haven't been in the 3D games in 3D. I had examples of these and then I decided to record a podcast with my brothers, so I just threw them away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everything goes out the window as soon as you hit record. But yeah, like, I think that this game is sort of... This game only has one goal, but I think it accomplishes that so smoothly in terms of the minute-to-minute gameplay. Now, I have some complaints (laughs) regarding the progression of the game. And I personally feel like there's a lot done here just to pad out the length of the game in ways that don't necessarily feel congruent with what I want this game to be. I know some people are going to like, are going to really love that there's so much more content here. But for me, a lot of it just didn't feel super necessary. Like I... I don't think I'm going to have much more patience for this game than just finishing it and maybe getting like one singular photo of every Pokemon. But the way you progress in this game is based on the score of your photos, uh, which is, you know, a fine system. It puts a little too much emphasis on Pokemon just having to be front and center and facing you, even though those aren't necessarily the best photos. But, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a system that makes sense. My problem is the fact that you have to have four photos of every Pokemon ranging from them basically just standing there looking at you up to doing something totally crazy. And you can only record one photo per level. So you have to replay a level to get a second photo. And photos are ranked on a one to four star system. And you don't necessarily know what your picture is going to be until the end. So you could take 50 pictures of one Pokemon just assuming that you'll have all stars one through four in there. And sometimes you just don't. So you need to repeat things just to try and get one picture. And maybe that's me going too far in. Maybe I'm trying to focus too much on one Pokemon per route. But it just feels it feels like it was something that was just added to give the game more length. Instead of something that actually makes you take better pictures. Or makes you play the game more as a photographer. And I I disagree a little bit with your, your point here. I think that the four-star system's pretty nice. I, it's something that was more or less already in place in the original game. It just wasn't drawn attention to. But, like, mm. the way that you interact with the Pokemon determines what level your star is going to be. Or if you just get lucky and find them at a good time when they're doing a pose that's for a different star level. But, like, even the original Pokemon Snap had it to where... Your photos could be worth more, or you could just see Pokemon doing very different things depending on how you interacted with them. It's just in the original game, there wasn't a star system to tell you, like, oh, you've more or less seen all the things that this Pokemon does. In this one, it's like, you you should keep interacting with this Pokemon to see if it does anything different, or if it has, you know, something special that it can do. Uh, Like some Pokemon, when you interact with them, they'll even take you to different areas on the map. And you really don't know that. (laughs) I mean, if you've taken a photo of a Pokemon and you think you're done with it, you're probably not going to be as likely to interact with them. And I mean, you still have that problem even once you have like all your stars for a given Pokemon. Like I 
There, there are plenty of Pokemon that I'll just completely ignore when I'm going through a map because I've already gotten, you know, all four star levels of pictures for that one. I don't need to bother with it anymore. But at the same time, I could be missing out on something. And without the star system in place, you might start doing that as soon as you've taken any photos of a Pokemon, especially if it's one that you're not particularly interested in. Yeah, and I like, and I totally get that this is just personal preference. I know a lot of people are actually going to really like the star system. I think for me, I think I would have liked it a lot better if you could record more than one photo of a Pokemon per run. I definitely agree with that. It's super annoying where if you know how to get all the poses for a Pokemon, you either need to run to it into it on different maps or you need to run the same map over and over and just hope yeah. that you can trigger everything. Now, like as a good example, why that why it doesn't really jive for me is at the beginning of the very first level, I think it's like the level two and on variant, you see a Grookey and a Pichu that are just kind of friends playing together, running around the whole level. And like, I love both of those Pokemon. So I took a bunch of pictures of them right off the bat. But then they keep popping up throughout the level. So it feels like I wasted a ton of film. Because you have a limited number of pictures per level. It feels like I wasted a ton of film on them at the beginning. Because they just show back up later. And maybe the two through four star variants are all in that later section. You don't really know. And it's just, it's it's strange. I feel like maybe it would help if it, A, told you when you were taking the picture what star it was. Like, you get a little preview at the bottom. Maybe it popped up and said it was one through four stars or whatever down there. And two, if it just would let you keep more than one photo per Pokemon, I think it would fix so many problems I have with this game. Well, the progression specifically, I guess. I do really like the the level of interactivity that this game has. There's definitely a lot more you can do with Pokemon uh, than you could do in the original. Obviously, since uh, the original was an N64 game and it's nearly 20 years old. It's it's like 24 years old now, isn't it? Something like that? Uh, it came out in 99. So 22? <laughs> 22. So, I mean, it's pretty old, especially in terms of Pokemon, which only started in, you know, the, the late 90s anyways. Uh, so it's definitely, you can tell <laughs> how much things have changed since the original game. There are some things that you could do in the original game that are missing, which is kind of lame, uh, or at least I haven't figured them out. I mean, there's pretty famously, uh, in the original game, there were ways that you could make Pokemon evolve by interacting with them. I haven't seen any of that in this game. Not a bit. Maybe I'm just dumb and I missed all the puzzles where they evolve, but so far I haven't seen anything like that. I actually went out of my way to look it up because I wanted to know if I was just missing something. But from what I can tell, there's there might be a very few small instances where it's possible, but for the most part it doesn't sound like actually forcing the Pokemon to evolve is even a possibility. Um, like for me, the most iconic scenes from the original game, aside from getting Pikachu to jump on a surfboard, was there's a Charmeleon who's like walking around a lava pit. And if you throw an apple at him, you can knock him into the lava pit and a Charizard flies out. And like, that was so cool at the time. That was like something that like, as a kid who played the games, but wasn't like, couldn't visualize the characters as well as I can now, since we have 3D models, I thought it was so cool to see like Charizard in all his glory 
you know, in th- like the 3D world and everything. Like I just I liked that so much. And this game doesn't really have anything quite on that level. It has the Illumina Pokemon, which are very very cool, but there's only a few of them, and the levels for them are kind of tedious. Yeah, I was kind of underwhelmed with the Illumina Pokemon. I mean, for the most part, uh, the levels where you find them are pretty tedious. It's just, for the most part, all the puzzles you do with the Illumina Pokemon are just repeatedly throw things at them. <laughs> yeah. Which, uh, that's not really a fun photography puzzle. That's animal abuse. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. then I didn't think they were very impressive. Generally, what happens is you'll throw an Illumina orb at them or at a Illumina flower, which are like dotted all around the landscape. And then they, they just kind of get tattoos and glow a little bit. It's not that interesting. It would be cool if it was something more akin to like Mega Evolutions, where the Pokemon actually changed a little bit. Mechanically, it's just sort of... It's like they wanted there to be boss battles in a photography game. And there's a reason that that's not ever going to work. Yeah, of course... It changes a little bit as you level up. Even the the boss battle arenas where you find the Illumina Pokemon will change and additional Pokemon will show up. But uh, they're still not very interesting. I, I think they only have like generally four or five Pokemon on the Illumina maps, you know, counting the Illumina Pokemon. So it's it's a little underwhelming how long you spend in those maps. Especially yeah. there's an underwater one, which... Uh, is so slow and so tedious the whole time through which is a bummer because like that pokemon is one of my absolute favorites in the entire series and it was so cool to see and the and mechanically what you're trying to do to get it to come out is really cool but it's just it's way way too long illumina levels are basically the same length as regular levels even there's only one pokemon to take pictures of for the most part yeah i I do want to point out though with the the level structure that they've kind of set up, I think all the levels are a little bit shorter, or maybe just at the same length as the N64 ones, but it makes the game really great to just kind of put up, or, you know, pick up and put down, <laughs> you know, just do yeah. a single map. It's only like five to ten minutes, maybe even less time than that. I'm honestly horrible at gauging time. <laughs> <laughs> They're short. Like, it's, like, I, I generally pick up the game, play you know, four or five levels over, like, a 30-minute time span, and then I put it back down for a while. Um, something that I don't think is necessarily valid criticism, per se, but something that I kind of want to think, I want to talk about because I think it's sort of a detriment to the game, is the fact that this game was made by the company Nintendo. <laughs> um, this game is a really hard sell for me. Like, I have a hard time convincing other people to get it, because this is a $60 game. And since this game is made by Nintendo, $60 is the cheapest it's ever going to be. <laughs> and if this game were like 20 or 30 bucks, I and I I would recommend this to friends who like, you know, like specifically like couples that wanted to both like Pokemon, you know, it's a cool thing to like spend a weekend on or whatever, but this isn't like this is not a Pokemon game in the truest sense. <laughs> I, I feel like the biggest sell for this game is just nostalgia. I mean, people have been clamoring for a new Pokemon Snap since the original Pokemon Snap came out, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. Wow, you said both versions of Pokemon in the same sentence that time. 
<laughs> I, I just remember seeing people, I mean, even when uh, Gen 3 came out, especially, I saw it a lot, you know, people talking about, oh, we need a new Pokemon Snap with the uh, the updated Pokemon they added. <laughs> and then Gen oh, 4 yeah. comes out and it's like, oh, we need a new Pokemon Snap. I want to see, you know, Giratina in Pokemon Snap. <laughs> it just keeps yeah. coming up every year. And then they finally did it. And it's yeah. good. I like it. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm kind of glad that they waited so long to do it on some levels, at least, because there's so much. There, there's so many Pokemon now. And I think I think that there are just over 200 in this game, but they actually did a pretty good job of splitting them up from the different regions. It's not a ton of Gen 1 nostalgia heavy Pokemon. It's actually a lot of newer, cooler ones mixed in, too. Yeah, I can't think of any gen that's really showing up too much more than any of the others. Yeah. Is there Trico in this game? I haven't seen him. I'm going to have to complain, actually. I'm changing. (laughs) I was originally going to give it a pretty good review, but the lack of Trico, I've actually decided to go for a 0 out of 10. Spoiler. Yeah. Yeah. My boy Froakie in there? Don't think so. I haven't seen him yet. No. No. Just another reason to not play it. There are a few... (laughs) Uh, well, no, not a few. There's one map I haven't done yet. You unlock it after you finish the main story. And instead of going there, I was like, I should level up some other maps. <laughs> yeah. So I have a couple of maps wow. that are at max level, and then I still have not played the final map. Okay, well, we have a lot of stuff to get into on this week's episode. So let's go ahead. Jason, your final thoughts and your score. Pokemon Snap, it's the... It's the Pokemon Snap game that we've been waiting for. It's got everything people want from the original. Um, I really like the new maps. I like the variation of Pokemon and the way that they interact with each other. And, you know, you, the photographer, the world around them. I think I've always really found it interesting to see Pokemon, like, in their natural habitat. And that's kind of the main thing with Snap, so... I, I do think some things in the game are a little tedious, especially like we pointed out with where you can only take or you can only show one picture of each Pokemon to the professor. It's a little tedious with the four star system, yeah, four star system added in. It kind of feels like you have to redo maps just for the sake of getting one photo sometimes, especially if you're, com- you know, if you're completionist. <laughs> uh, I know that I have some pokemon that i'm just missing like one picture of or one star level of and it's like well that pokemon's only in one map so i gotta play it again a few times i would say overall i'm pretty positive about it i'm gonna give it i'm gonna give it an 8 out of 10 just because i i really like pokemon snap and i'm glad to see it come back yeah i mean i I totally agree with that enthusiasm to see uh, a game that was so important for me as a kid that's been brought back in such a glamorous way like it it really expands upon everything that made the first game great i do have some gripes about some of the progression and i think that they did some things to just to pad out the length of the game some which i thought sort of hinder my interest in going back and really getting everything there is to get out of this game but i mean overall it's pokemon snap but better in every way so like that's a very very cool thing Again, it's a hard sell because it's. I don't think this game is for everyone, and I think that it's it's more like a weekend excursion than a game you're going to play day day after day. But yeah, I still think a lot of what they did was really, really not just really cool, but really smart. 
So I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. All right. So our final review, 7.5 out of 10. And I, I do just want to say one more Not thing bad. about it being a hard sell. Um, at the end of the day, it's a research photography game, <laughs> which means people that are really into photography are going to be annoyed by how it wants you to do research photography, which is all about having as much of the, you know, the object in the camera shot as possible. And it'll also get on the nerves of people who just like normal Pokemon games because those are RPGs and this is photography. <laughs> Even our four-year-old brother playing this game saw um, saw Score Bunny on a map and he was like, "How do I catch it? I want to catch it." <laughs> and like, <laughs> it's 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 a weird time. This game is insane. Like nothing about this game makes sense, but it is it is very cool. Returnal. What is it? It's a new game in the action roguelike genre from House Marquee or House Mark and published by Sony. Jackson, I'm going to throw it over to you to tell me a little bit about Returnal. Because Jason hasn't played it. So you play as a uh, woman named Celine. She is a astronaut. And during a flight mission, her ship crashes on an alien planet. And she's got to survive. She learns quickly every time she dies, she returns to life. Oh, I just said the thing. Oh, nice. Um, so, you know, that, that introduces the roguelike mechanic of it. You keep venturing through this ever-changing alien world, trying to, you know, get out alive. Most of the story in it is told through, like, audio logs you can find. Some of them pre- being pretty dark. Like, there's one you can find pretty early on where one of her dead versions of herself while venturing through one of the landscapes came across another dead version of herself that came back to life and she had to kill it and then she also died and that you know that's pretty dark um so yeah most of the story is told through a bunch of audio logs is a good bit to find but you know other than that it's you know it's a pretty basic roguelike uh really takes a good grip of some of the playstation 5's features now how smart he they're kind of a powerhouse in this uh, in this genre, wouldn't you say? I mean, they've got some real hits out there, like Resogun and Alienation. How do you feel about Returnal? I really like it, which is really saying something, because I do not really like roguelikes that much. Uh, even Hades. I didn't play much of Hades before. I was just like, eh. This is pretty good. I think it's mostly because of the thing that uh, roguelike fans complain about this game which is that the runs are very each run is extremely long like can be upwards of multiple hours let me tell you us roguelike fans are the ones saying it should be 10 times as long really (laughs) yes i thought it was the Uh, other way around so i just want i do want to jump in here i love roguelikes and i love what i have played of this game so far just to sort of wade in on this new discussion happening about the difficulty of video games thanks to Returnal. Returnal is famously the first hard video game of all time. So this is a very <laughs> yeah. new conversation. All right. I haven't yeah. really heard about this much. People think this game is hard? So this game this game is quite difficult. I'll give it that. The bigger problem people are facing is not that the game is hard. It is the fact that a full run of this game generally takes 
at least an hour and a half from everything. Everything I have read indicates at least an hour and a half. A lot of people do not have an hour and a half plus to set aside to play a game all in one go. This game has no save and suspend and return options or anything like that. And a lot of people who claim they're roguelike fans are like, well, that's just the genre. None of these games have it. That isn't true. I play a ton of roguelikes. All but two of the ones I really love have options to suspend and continue runs. Saying that can't happen is nothing. Anyway, sorry. I've been reading a lot about this and I am heated. <laughs> yeah, even though I really like having the long runs in this, I do find it weird there is no suspend option. Because I have found multiple times where, you know, I just, like, I need to go do stuff for a while. And, you know, I'm just, I'm in the middle of a run. And, uh, you know, that's also kind of crap because for some reason the PlayStation 5 does not have the feature where if you go to start another game, it's like, hey, you got something else running, you might want to check that, like the PS4 did. PS5 just doesn't have that, so that kind of makes us a little worse. Sounds like a you problem, bud. And by a you problem, I mean you, the fans of PlayStation. Please send a message to Sony and tell them we want a notification if you're going to close a game. <laughs> uh, my little tangent aside, uh, I actually do like really like this game so far. I, I love shooters, I love roguelikes, I think it marries those two, those two genres perfectly. It has this bullet hell energy, but never stops being a good third-person shooter, which good third-person shooters are already few and far between. I think it has a really cool atmosphere, really cool weapons and abilities, it's, I don't, I don't know, I think that, I, I haven't played a ton of this game yet, I've only beaten the first two bosses, some on the third biome, but like, I have re really enjoyed my time with it. That being said, yeah, some runs have gone for a really long time already, and I have had, the game has crashed on me twice mid-run. Thankfully, neither was like one where I was super far in, but like, it's, it's working through some stuff. <laughs> yeah, the moment-to-moment -moment gameplay is extremely good. The guns feel very good, especially because you know, the guns take use of the adaptive triggers since it's a PS5 exclusive. Holding the trigger halfway will have no friction to it and will just pretty much aim down the sights. Past that, it will have friction, and holding that, you'll zoom in a little more. And then when you fire, you will do your alt fire, which could be like a uh, little tracking uh, bomb thing. Uh, electricity can shoot out the end of your gun. Just simple stuff like that that comes in handy a good bit. And. You also, um... This game put, also puts a ton of emphasis on sort of... You, you can actually take several hits in this game before you die, which isn't super common for roguelikes, but a lot of your combat prowess comes from your adrenaline meter. And essentially, with adrenaline, every three kills, you gain a new level of adrenaline. And that can go up to five levels, and you get numerous perks to your survivability and your combat awareness, and it it makes everything easier the higher your adrenaline is. And the second you take damage, that just all flies out the window. And it seems to me like taking damage is pretty easy. Some of the bullet hell segments remind me of, uh, like, Nier. Uh, it's hard to compare it to much else, because there's not a lot of other, like, third-person bullet hell games. No, I, I think it actually borrows a lot from Nier, and it's... It, 
in my opinion, I think it takes a lot from Nier and then does it better combat-wise. I don't think this game offers quite as much of a roller coaster thematically as Nier does, but I think the minute-to-minute combat is is phenomenal. Um, the general sense of this game is you start with just a sidearm. Um, it just fires like a regular uh, automatic pistol. It has one of several different alt fires, and you will find upgrades that make your suit better. You'll find new weapons that replace both the primary weapon and the alt fire. You only have one weapon at a time, by the way. And you'll make your way through a level called a biome. You'll fight a boss. Then you'll unlock the next biome. And you'll also get a an item that will let you jump straight to that biome. So with the next run, you can grind out the first biome to get better items, then move on to the second. Or you can just jump straight to the second where you'll level up to the right level, but you won't have any of the gear as if you had decided to grind it out in the first world. So it also has a risk-reward system in terms of how fast you want to take the game. Like You can rush straight into a new level without the appropriate equipment, and it will match your level to the right area, or to the area, but it won't necessarily give you all the perks you would have had if you would have taken your time in the previous levels. It has a good, it has a good balance in that um, that I think is really cool. But essentially, it's just run through a procedurally generated biome, fight a boss, unlock the next biome, and you do that several times over. And uh, speaking of risk-reward, one of the sort of attributes of items that you can find when picking up certain items is they can be malignant, which is pretty much just like they'll have a bad side effect. And it can be anything that ranges from like some stupid ones, like uh, at full health, take uh no not take uh do minus percent 50 damage which is a you know that's a good chunk of damage um but then you can get rid of those by simple items uh simple actions like use a key or pick up an artifact just you know stuff like that to give you more of a uh you know risk reward and i think it it adds a really cool uh, a really cool sense of every run being different and you needing to really know your limits I, it's not super well balanced. A lot of the, a lot of the detriment to your character is so severe that you're really just better off skipping a lot of that stuff a lot of the time. And that sort of flies in the face of what the system is supposed to be. I think that's something they'll fix. I think they will probably scale down some of the negative side effects so that it's actually worth it to take some more positive ones or they will make the positive ones better but right now i find myself skipping like three quarters of the stuff that even has a chance of uh damaging my suit in any way i mean i don't think they're really that bad like i I mean i still pick up most items that are even malignant that i see even if they're like high chance ones because i i think they just add a Sorry, I'm thinking of something different. So there are there are malignant items, like if you open a chest or break an item to get collectibles, you have a chance of getting some kind of, of setback to your character. I'm thinking of the viruses. So mm, there yeah. are these items scattered throughout the map where they will straight up tell you, we will give you this buff, but you're going to lose this instead. And it feels like a lot of the virus side effects are way too severe to justify taking the buffs they give you. Now, yeah, that I'll agree on. Because some of the parasites will just be like, plus like 
one percent time for like the common currency to lay on the ground not one plus one percent plus one second time and then the bad side effect is like minus 50 percent damage when at full integrity and that's just not a good trade-off and it's it's partially just that it's all procedurally generated but like generally speaking the negative side effect is a lot more severe than the positive for items the procedural generation can get a little annoying uh i, I know a major issue that people run into with procedurally generated maps is that they'll either seem you know weird and disjointed or very samey do you notice really either of those things with the the map designs that you've run into in this one no i I think it actually strikes a really good balance like better than most roguelikes i've played the only one i can think is actually better is hades because the maps in this game you start to feel a rhythm but it never feels repetitive you start to see some common repeating themes, but you never, you don't see the exact same map time after time often enough that it gets frustrating. I mean, again, I'm not super far in this game. I think I'm pretty much at the halfway point, but I I have not personally felt like the maps are getting too repetitive at all. How about you, Jackson? Yeah, I'd say I never, when, by the time I beat the first boss, I still wasn't even bored of the first biome, and that was after like uh, six, seven hours of playtime, which I, I think is mostly enforced by the fact that you know the layout of maps is it's completely different every time. It's one of the like the main features of the game. <laughs> so like you know you can start up a run and like you got to go through like fifteen different rooms to get to the boss, or you can start up a run and have to go through like two uh, stuff like that. You could run into a room immediately that has a side room that's just like chests that give you no penalties for opening or just you know simple stuff like that it feels different every time so it kind of seems like you see a lot of the same ideas in rooms but you don't see like the same room copy and pasted yeah yeah at least not often enough that i think it's a problem um and also i i will say I, from the promotional material and the stuff I read about the game, I was expecting this game to have this same kind of dark and dreary atmosphere the whole way through. Um, that's probably not the wrong way to put it. The game is dark and dreary all the way through, but the the separate biomes are very distinct, both in terms of the tone and the aesthetic and the actual layout and enemy types. The, the second biome is like a total 180 from the first, and the third is sort of takes ideas from both of the previous two in very cool ways. Like I, I think that I think that this game had a lot of very smart and talented designers that wanted to create something totally distinct, and I think they did that extremely well. Yeah, the first biome, uh, I think called the Overgrown Ruins, is um ruins that are overgrown by plants. Uh thank you. Cool. Everything in it is very like closed and closed quarters um and the second biome is i honestly i think called the like the crimson sands or something because it's a red sand desert and it's got like more spaced out ruins in it and i think that's a good like jump to go to give biomes a different feel other than just looking different yeah and the third biome is like a lot more vertical and it it sort of incorporates some new abilities you pick up between the second and third as far as traversal. And I think it really expands on that. And actually, that's something really cool I need to talk about. Um, 
So the game has sort of a Metroidvania inspiration. You see this in a lot of other roguelikes, like Dead Cells, for example. But essentially, at first, you have no way to get into certain rooms or through certain barriers. Then you get the sword and you cut through things. And, you know, after that, you'll start to notice there's stuff up high that you can't quite reach with your regular jump and dash abilities. And then you beat the second boss and you get a grappling hook. So, like, that's really cool. And I'm assuming it will continue this. Like, when you beat a boss, you get a new tool which can expand what you can access more. And I think so far that's handled extremely well at a pretty good pace. Now, of course, that's going to change with people's skill level. If you take, you know, twice as long to kill the first boss, of course, it's going to slow down the process. But I think it's paced out really well for me personally. Yeah, there's a, you know, you got stuff like that that you just will unlock and have access to throughout the game. One of the weird ones, though, is because there doesn't seem to be a certain time when you get it, is in, like, the intro room where you start every run at, eventually there will be a machine where giving a rare resource called Ether will give you a new artifact that you have not had before, and then that artifact, you will be able to find it in rooms. It's weird, though, because there doesn't seem to be a set time that that happens. Like, it's not like after the first boss or anything it just it's sometime between getting the sword and sometime between beating the first boss yeah like for me it was like my third run and for jackson it was like his sixth or seventh even though he got the sword in even less time than i did so it was it's very strange there are definitely elements at play there are entire systems about this game that are just sort of confusing and behind the scenes that i think sort of take away from the game a little bit but it also gives it a lot of individuality per playthrough. Yeah, I mean, I think that's just kind of the pros and cons of doing procedurally generated everything anyways, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's no way to control whether you have a good run or a bad run other than just uh, if the numbers line up. Yeah, and I think that there are certain roguelikes where you're a little too much at the mercy of RNG, um, one that comes to mind for me is Risk of Rain 2, which is one of my favorite games. But I think that's a game where if you just don't get the right items early enough, you're just you're stuck. Whereas this game, and like Hades, which is my favorite roguelike there is, I, I think those are games where if you're good enough, you can pull your way out of anything. It's just a matter of knowing the system, knowing what you do well, and knowing what to prioritize. Yeah, and priority is... Yeah, I don't know how much it is of a priority later in the game, but in the very beginning, like in the first biome, you don't really the, need to do much preparation. Like I had a run um, where the boss room was one of like the first few rooms. Like I just went straight to it and you know did most of its uh, got most of its health down before being killed. So like preparation isn't that much of a big thing immediately, which I actually kind of like. Because they can give players, you know, a better feel for the game without thinking, okay, I need to go do this before I go do this. I think the further you go in, the le- the more that starts to change. For me, uh, and I think a lot of people experience this, the third biome substantially more difficult than the first two. And I think for the third biome, you really need to start searching every nook and cranny for weapons and artifacts that sort of lend themselves to how you play. In the first biome, I was just going for whatever weapon was the highest level, whereas by the third biome, 
I am basing it a lot more on what artifacts I have, how they work together, and sort of how I think of combat. It it definitely changes, but in a natural way. I, I like that part. Yeah, I think it I think how the progression is done is pretty smart, because like in the beginning of it, you don't where you don't really need to go searching for items. You can do it at your own pace. You can find out what items are good without like you know, finding a bad item and then using it and just, you know, getting your run ended. So it gives you it gives you time to figure out how the systems work instead of just throwing it all in your face at once and expecting you to get it. You know, one more thing I wanted to talk about with this is I, I remember seeing quite a bit about there being like horror sections in the game. Have either of you kind of run into those? I saw them being compared to like PT and stuff like that probably a bit of an exaggeration but have either of you really encountered too many of those yeah in the in the early game um one of the rooms you come across has your character's house that's just rebuilt in it like her house from earth yeah yeah and eventually you can find a key and go to it and it sends you into a first person section where you kind of just go through the house a little you know eventually you get to a door and she's like, oh, this shouldn't be unlocked. And then it just, like, it closes without you closing it. You turn around. There's pictures that are knocked over. You hear weird sounds coming from upstairs. You walk up there. You look outside. And, like, all you can see is fog and this, uh, like, 20th century astronaut just standing there. And then your character kind of, like, panics, passes out. And then you wake up right outside your house. Yeah, Jackson just, like, explained an entire scene in depth. Um, I'll just say, PT is an exaggeration, but it is sort of, like, horror movie vibes a little bit. And it is a, it's a very cool change of pace. Like, combat's very fast and fluid, and these sections remind me a lot of Resident Evil, which I have been playing way too much of lately. And I think it's, it's really cool. I think it... You think they're well executed? Yeah, there's not enough to them, but I think what you do see is is pretty cool. I think it fits it fits the theme and it fits the world that is being established. Well, I, I think we spent a little bit of time talking about this. Uh, do you guys want to go ahead and give your final thoughts? Yeah, uh, I'll go first. Um, gameplay very good. It you know, as someone that doesn't like roguelikes, I really like this game. I think it takes. Good implementation of the PS5's features with, you know, you know the graphics, the controller especially. This is probably the only PS5 game I've played. Granted, there's not many PS5 exclusives. Um, probably the only PS5 game I've played where they really take extremely good use of the dual... Uh, not the dual triggers. Um, the haptive triggers, whatever they're called. The DualShock 5. The adaptive triggers. Yeah. Uh, I like... The atmosphere of the game. Um, one of my favorite games is Last of Us Part Two, and it kind of reminds me of that a, a little. The De- combat's obviously different, so that kind of takes away from the feel. But yeah, I've heard the combat's good in this one. <laughs> hey, combat in the first Last of Us not great. Combat invest in Last of Us Two, it's all right. Anyways, I don't really have any major gripes about the game. It's so, oh, I think I give this a nine out of ten. High praise. It, it's hard for me to review it because I don't think I've given the game truly enough time to give a, a really fair review. But I will say I think this game 
is very inventive. I think it is very welcoming to people who aren't necessarily roguelike fans. I think they really got to figure out something as far as the length of individual runs if they really want people sold on it. But I think overall, like the minute to minute, co- the minute to minute combat's excellent. The world is very interesting and it really pulls you in. I think there's a lot of cool systems at play. I I guess I would call this more a review in progress, but I mean, I would definitely give it at least an eight eight point five out of ten. All right, eight point seven five. I think that's how math works. This is probably like the most pleasantly surprised I've been with the game in in quite a while. You guys almost make me want to play it, but I do hate roguelikes, and I'm not super <laughs> big into shooters. Yeah, no, and I and I get that. Like, this game is still true and true roguelike, and I know that's not for everybody. And I don't encourage you to throw yourself into a game that is totally outside of what you like. You're you're not going to find it here. I think that there are people that will learn they actually like roguelikes from this game, but that's not that's not going to be everyone by any stretch. Well folks, lots been going on this last week. We've seen some big changes in superhero movie casting and lots of potential changes in superhero movie casting and superhero movie news and maybe some other stuff along the way. But let's kick it off with some of that superhero news who's superhero movie casting news. Hi, I'm Jason Simmons, superhero movie casting correspondent for the Totally Biased Media Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> let's start out with Dave Batista's Drax. Dave Batista's saying he's not going to die in Guardians of the Galaxy 3, but he he thinks somebody else should play Drax. Which this is wild because I love Guardians of the Galaxy. No no questions about that. I think there's a lot of people that really love Guardians of the Galaxy even if they don't necessarily care for the rest of the MCU. I actually can I actually know multiple people off the top of my head that claim that like this is one of their favorite movies but are not comic fans at all or comic movie fans. So like it's pretty wild that such an iconic character of such an iconic team is, you know, the actor saying he's kind of kind of on his way out. But, like, I can't blame him either. I mean, he's knocked it out of the park with every movie he's been in so far. But the way he put it himself, he's just getting too old for this nonsense. And, like, good on him for stepping out on his terms. <laughs> I mean, he's got to get out there and continue his work of recreating a bunch of rock movies. Well, I mean, also, how's he going to do Marvel if he's doing uh, Army of the Dead? Yeah, he's... <laughs> Friendship with Marvel's over. Zack Snyder's my best friend. <laughs> Obviously, he's going to be in the new Snyderverse Justice League 2. Um, oh, of course. Where he's going to play not Drax... Drax. Uh, he's very similar. He looks the same, but he's he's different because his name Grax is the Grax. Slaughterer. Grax the Gristoyer. He's actually going to have hair in this one, and that's going to be the major Ooh. difference. <laughs> yeah, he's actually going to be playing himself. <laughs> Who's your favorite superhero? Mine's Superman. Well, uh, mine is Dave Batista. <laughs> Dave Batista could beat up Batman, no problem. 
I get it, though. I mean, playing Drax, I, I mean, anytime you got to play, like, a comic relief character, it yeah, probably gets old get after old. a while. And I think, like, you know, he's he's done great with the character, for sure, and I, I think he, he will be, you know, severely missed, but, like, it's it's also cool to see someone stepping away from a superhero role because they want to and not because they've been in all 112 movies that the that the studio has planned for them. Um, and I think, like, considering that he is a character who is covered in, you know, body paint and tattoos, it's not going to be a huge, huge detriment if he is recast. But I don't think he will be. I think if he doesn't want to come back, I think they'll write him out in a respectful way. Especially considering how good of a relationship he and James Gunn seem to have. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they end up just kind of giving Drax a happy ending or something. Yeah. <laughs> and just being yeah. like, alright, well, this character's done. It's not like the Guardians of the Galaxy has always had, you know, just one team lineup. I, there's several yeah. Guardians team. Literally no one... Literally no one in the movie team is from the original Guardians of the Galaxy comic team. I mean, they already introduced this uh, second older Guardians of the Galaxy team anyways in the second movie. So yeah, it's not yeah. like they don't have people just lined up to replace them anyways. As <laughs> no, a member of the team, you're not going to be able to replace <laughs> the character, you know? But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Dave Batista, we wish you the best. I know that means a lot coming from us, <laughs> but I step away from Marvel and talk about my boys at DC. Tom Welling, you know him as Clark Kent in Smallville, wants to really break out his acting skills as Clark Kent in The Batman. <laughs> but you see, this one's different. Before, it was No Flights, No Tights. This is going to be a darker, edgier Superman. Double flights, double tights. He's only going to wear tights. And he will All not over. be seen in any other outfits. Even when he's Clark Kent, he's going to be wearing like a skinned, you know, like the body morph suits. <laughs> he's going to wear one of those, but it's like a blazer, <laughs> yeah. dress pants. Now, Jackson, I, I want to ask. Smallville was like, I, I know before your time, but have you seen any of it at all, really? No. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Smallville's a weird show. It's great, don't get me wrong. I, it's excellent, and I think it's probably one of the best depictions we've gotten of Superman in across all media. Um, that being said, it was very much a product of its time, <laughs> and I think, I think that Tom Welling really looks and acts the part of Superman, and I really want to see him actually get to be Superman, not just Clark Kent. And I think, hey, this they're making some big swings with this new universe with Robert Pattinson's Batman, so, like, why not? <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, they could cast anyone they want at this point. I, I yeah. mean, it's not connected to the, the Snyderverse, as far as I know. It was originally going to be a prequel, I think, but then they decided it's just its own thing. So, like, yeah. they can throw anyone they want in as Superman. I, I think they should get that guy that played uh, Geralt in The Witcher to play him. <laughs> <laughs> he seemed like he yeah. would be a good Superman. I don't remember his name. Something like uh. Uh, Tom Cruise, maybe? 
Yeah, that sounds right. That sounds right. I heard he does his own stunts. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, I would like to okay. see Tom Welling. I enjoyed him in Smallville. Uh, <laughs> I saw. I don't really watch the Arrowverse or anything like that, but I saw his cameo in the uh, Crisis on Infinite Earth, Infinite Earths season finale or whatever. And uh, I, I like how he's a lumberjack now. <laughs> He retired from yeah. Superman so he can chop the lumber. He can chop well, hey, wood and be confused when Lex Luthor appears. It's gotta be easy to be a lumberjack when you uh, can fly and have super strength. So, you know, more power to him. You know, I don't think honest. he has superpowers in the uh, in the Arrowverse, you huh. know, the Smallville universe at the end there. I don't want to get too spoilery into this, especially considering I didn't see it. I'm pretty sure... Lex Luthor shows up and then he just leaves because he's like, oh, this guy doesn't even have superpowers. Yeah. There was a weird thing during Crisis where Lex Luthor was just going around to the different Earths and trying to kill all the Supermans. <laughs> while the while the universes were just, you know, ending. It, it would be really interesting to see him against Robert Pattinson's Batman, though. Uh, and I would I would like to see... I'm excited for Robert Pattinson's Batman, and I also like robert pattinson in most of the roles i've seen him in so i'm just assuming he's gonna be a good batman but i could be wrong uh but if they do end up continuing it i think it would be cool to see you know the the more batman superman content we can get the better right i mean everybody loves those two and they success uh not successfully <laughs> they uh you know they're known to have really good movies together too so <laughs> Well, one out of zero out of one ain't bad. Point <laughs> um, five out of two ain't bad. <laughs> um, okay. Well, let's switch gears a little bit. We'll step away from the superheroes and talk about some of the heroes of my childhood, the Flintstones. They're coming back, but this time <laughs> they're old. <laughs> So, a Flintstones sequel series is in the works, just called Bedrock. It's set to star Elizabeth Banks, who is one of the executive producers, as Pebbles, a grown-up Pebbles. Um, I almost said adult Pebbles, but I don't want to think about what the internet has probably done to the phrase adult Pebbles. <laughs> so, so we're going to stick with grown-up Pebbles. <laughs> and, yeah, I just, I, I think that Flintstones has some of the most iconic slapstick humor in all of media. So, like, I'm pretty excited to see where this goes. And I think it has some pretty funny people involved and, you know, something to keep an eye on for sure. What I want to see with it is, you know, this, it's got to be a dark and gritty reboot. Right? <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> like, Fred Flintstone is a cyborg now. Ooh. But, I mean, it still takes place way back in the day. So he's just got, like, his brain's been replaced with a hamster on a wheel. He's got like prosthetic arms and legs. <laughs> no. He's too powerful, but he's also no. bedridden. Uh, Bam Bam is addicted to hard drugs. <laughs> As you would be if you were named Bam Bam. I mean, yeah, what kind of job are you going to get named Bam Bam? He's going to show up to work. <laughs> hey, a guy <laughs> who hammers stuff. He would be good at that, based on yeah. what I've seen him do in the original Flintstone show. <laughs> I'm a big fan of his work. 
Um, yeah. Jackson, out of curiosity again, have you ever seen a single episode of the Flintstones? Again, I have not. <laughs> that, yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> um, it's, it was off the air long before my childhood. It's just, I watched a lot of Boomerang as a kid. They're basically <laughs> a modern prehistoric family. <laughs> yeah, you could describe them that way. So, some have described them that way. Hey, y'all remember that time that John Goodman played a live-action Fred Flintstone? No. What was what was that about? Well, Wait. you see, this was in the 90s, and John Goodman would do anything in the 90s. This was when he was making his name as an amazing actor. Truly one of the greatest. But if you're going to say yes to any role you're offered, you're going to get offered some bad ones. Hold on, I'm still just confused. Was there a live-action Flintstone movie? <laughs> Two of them. Two of them. And they were movies. I I do have one more small story I want to talk about. It looks like Sony got the trademark for Sunset Overdrive, which was previously an huh. Xbox exclusive. Uh, but yeah, since they acquired Insomniac a couple years ago, seems like they're going to try to pick up the back catalog and bring them over to PS5, hopefully. That is just an assumption. I think it's pretty normal for companies to, <laughs> you know, reacquire any of their trademarks when they expire, even if it's something they don't plan on doing anything with. Like, I think Xbox has been... <laughs> they've been getting some of their cancelled games uh, re-trademarked for years now, and it <laughs> brings up a lot of uh, talk. Like, I think Advent Rising recently got re-trademarked. It's like, nobody's making a sequel to Advent Rising. <laughs> No one played Advent Rising. <laughs> I've never even heard of it. But, yeah, this, I mean, this could clearly just be, like, some kind of IP protection plan, not actual intentions to make a sequel or a port, but Sunset Overdrive was really cool. It was the first, it was the first Xbox One game I played. It was the first, like, of that gen game I played, and I was really blown away by what the new consoles could do and how bright and explosive and in your face that game was i mean it it took everything i liked about ratchet and clank and put it in a setting that wasn't as good but like still was overall a pretty cool game and i'd be on board for the option to play it on ps5 well if i could get a ps5 one day one day you'll get one yeah yeah i I just want to point out to y'all um so the countdown to ratchet and clank Rift Apart has us at 34 days from now, and if I have not secured a PS5 within those 34 days, I'm just, I'm becoming the Joker. I'm I'm sorry, it's just going to happen. (laughs) You want to know how I got this PS5? (laughs) I lived close to a GameStop. (laughs) I'm the Joker, baby. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, well... That's the news, as we were learning it ourselves. <laughs> so, Jackson, what else have you been into? I was going to talk about this last week, and then I wasn't able to be there for recording. So I'm going to talk about this week. Um, you know, uh, I'd say probably like three months ago, I watched Daredevil season one and two, and I just now watched season three, and... It's so, it's so good. Uh, Darede- Daredevil is probably my favorite property of the entire MCU. 
And it just, it really sucks that it's not, that, okay, that it may or may not be canon. Uh, I'm still not sure what's <laughs> yeah. going on with that. <laughs> it's not canon. It's not canon. At the moment. Assume it's not until uh. you hear otherwise. Yeah, Jordan, I'm going to join you in becoming the Joker then. <laughs> Tune in next week for the Three Jokers podcast. <laughs> yeah. The only podcast um. hosted by three of the Joker. Yeah. Wait, why yeah. why are you the Joker? I've actually always been the Joker. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's, that's my secret cap. I'm always the Joker. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Daredevil it's good stuff. Highly recommend it. Still on Netflix. Hello. I'm here to talk to you about the hit game from two thousand three. The Elder Scrolls three, Morrowind. It's amazing and i come back to it constantly and by constantly i mean i just beat it a couple years ago for the first time i was playing through skyrim and i got to the dlc uh, dragonborn and i was like oh this takes place in morrowind there's a game about that and then i played that game and i was like this is better than skyrim <laughs> um yeah but i'm playing it again now and i love this game so much it's just there's something about older RPGs, you know, back before they gave you a lot of the, uh, I guess, like, creature comforts, like, always having a compass. Swords always hitting. Yeah, I, I mean, there's just something different about older RPGs. They're much more, like, dice-based, you know, ideally. Which is something that I think really annoyed me for a long time, but it's something I really kind of... I, I, I honestly really like it. I don't want to see it in new games, but, like, I do really like older games where you know, luck is kind of a major feature of the game. I don't know. I can't put into words why I like it, but Morrowind's like that. But the bigger thing I want to talk about with Morrowind is just the story is so much deeper than what you get in, like, most modern uh, action RPGs. <laughs> I mean, like, the setting that it takes place in is so unique in comparison. I mean, basically every big RPG you play these days most of the maps are like pretty mundane all things considered it'll be like a forest or a wasteland oblivion's got giant mushroom forests <laughs> i mean it's just or not oblivion morrowind <laughs> i just think it's really unique and it's really fun to go back to every once in a while and i've been doing that again so that's what i've put a lot of time into this past week this week, for me, a lot of it was New Pokemon Snap and Returnal. Um, that was until yesterday when Resident Evil 8 uh, finally made its way into Jackson's PS5, where I am playing it. <laughs> um, it's uh, real, real good so far. I've already put four or five hours into it, even after only having come out yesterday. Um, I will definitely talk more about it in a future episode at some point. We won't, uh, we won't officially review it or anything, but I've been blown away by it so far. Uh, it's very different from Resident Evil 7, even though it is at its core the same type of game. It feels very different. It shoots for a very different type of horror. It's a very different story with a different progression that feels a little more video gamey than, uh, Resident Evil 7 had. But like still across the board, having a lot of fun with it. Really, really excited to see where it goes from, from where I'm at. 
Um, another big thing that just came out yesterday as well is probably my favorite artist at the moment, at least over the last couple years, uh, Dodie Clark, just put out her first full-length album. She has had several EPs and dozens and dozens of songs that you could stream for years and years now. Um, but she just put out her first full-length album. It's about half previous uh, singles, but half of it's brand new and across the board. Just an excellent album. If If you like chill music that still gets into some pretty heavy stuff, which is sort of exactly what I shoot for in music, it's it's the best there is. It's uh, Dodie's Build a Problem is the name of the album. So, so good. All of her stuff is excellent. Listen to all of her music on Spotify and like on her YouTube channel, and it's it's so good. I, I love everything that this woman does. It's She's just a, an incredibly talented singer and songwriter. Such a good album. I could go on and on about it, but I will just say, like, check it out. Uh, second track on the album called Hate Myself. It's a banger get to it <laughs> and speaking of hating myself it's time for us to end the episode <laughs> that that transition felt pretty forced <laughs> i'm gonna be honest i i still don't get it can you explain it is it that you hate that you're ending the episode is it that you hate this podcast is it that you hate <laughs> yes. me do yes. you hate jackson <laughs> oh yes but folks, it is time for us to bring the podcast to a close. You can find us on social media at TBMcast on Twitter, at Totally Biased Media on Instagram. You can send us an email to totallybiasedmedia at gmail.com. However you reach out, we're super appreciative. We'll get back to you however we can. Um, if you have suggestions for things to talk about on the show or want to give your own reviews for us to read, that'd be awesome. Uh, generally, we like to read some other people's reviews, but we had so much crammed into this episode, we just didn't have time. This is already probably going to be our longest episode yet. <laughs> um, but yeah, reach out to us. We really appreciate you listening, but would love it if you would go that extra step and drop us a line in one way or another. I am Jordan Walkup. I'm Jason Simmons. And I'm Jackson Walkup. And you just felt the bias. Whoa. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye. It's all right.